The, anybody recognize the Baby Einstein videos? Anybody use them? Yes, yes. Show of hands there, a few of us. Here's the, here's the kind of claim to fame to those videos, was that they could increase your child's uh, learning and discovery and, and make them smarter through this use of classical music interspersed with these very stimulating visuals. So parents like me and millions of others bought the entire set, and we spent endless hours watching that little tiger count. And, and our hope was that, of course, we want our kids to be Einstein. I mean, who, who wouldn't want that? But here's the deal. The claim was false. I don't know if you know that. I hate to burst your bubble if you're still using those. Go get after it. But in 2010, a study published in Psychology Science demonstrated that children who viewed those videos regularly for one month showed no greater understanding of words from program than kids who never saw it. What they discovered, which is really interesting, is that children who were taught by their parents improved the most that researchers concluded children learn best through meaningful gestures and interactive communication with the parents. Science proved what the Bible teaches and what we know intuitively. And that is there's no greater human influence than a child learning from their parent. That can't be delegated off to a DVD. It can't be handed off to a church. It can't be handed off to somebody else. The parent is the most influential person in the life of their child. So today, what we're going to explore together is the role that you have, if you're a parent, in cultivating an amazing faith in your kid. Now, what I recognize is that if we are parents, there's a lot of different parents in this room. For some of us, we're single parents, so we face some very unique challenges that a two-parent family doesn't have. Some of us are step-parents. Some of us are parents of adult children. So how do we, how do we influence them now when they're out of the home? How do, how do parents of teenagers respond to the needs spiritually of their child? How does a parent of newborns, how about grandparents? How do you do it? What does it look like for a grandparent to set a spiritual gauge in the heart of their grandchildren and even their adult children? There are some people in this room who are not parents yet, but they will be one day, and they'll be thrown right in the deep end when that happens. Wherever you are, and whatever level of kind of encouragement or discouragement you have, there are four principles I want to share with you today that bind all of that together, that make it possible for you to woo your child, to, to draw them towards the things of God. And the first thing, if you're taking notes is write this down, that amazing faith requires an amazing vision. An amazing faith requires that you have an amazing vision. A few years ago, I was on vacation, and I was walking the beach, and I was wrestling, and in my mind, with a lot of things that were happening at the church that I was leading at the time. And I was working through a lot of different scenarios in my head. And I was thinking, okay, if I, you know, how do I kind of push the church forward? And if I do this, how does it impact that group? And what do I say to this group? I mean, it was just, in my head, I was really wrestling with things. 
and I felt what I believe now was an impression from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. I, I will explain. Perhaps you understand this. It's not an audible voice, but I felt this. And, the, and what I felt was this sense of, hey, Andy, what's your thoughts and your plans for your children? And I began to think about that, and the more I felt that, I, you know, I felt like, okay, you know, this is a thought. And I realized I, I was saying things, things were coming to mind, but what I had begun to really understand in that moment, the more I pressed on that question, and that question pressed on me, the more I realized I was giving my best effort to the church, and my family was getting my leftovers. I was beginning to realize that... I, I had some hopes, I had some ideas, well, you know, I, I hope this thing happens in my kid, but I had no meaningful plan that was guiding me. I was just thinking, well, we'll bump into it. And I realized I was headed down a, predict, a predictable path. You know, my children would probably be raised in the church and end up being, you know, wild preacher's kids and almost kind of angry at the church, you know. And if I did not set a different course, if I didn't put my work in certain level of priorities, look at this Proverbs chapter 29. Without prophetic vision, in other words, without a God-inspired interruption, without a God-inspired portrait, without a God-inspired idea, people do something. They cast off restraint, but blessed are those who follow God's teaching. The Bible's giving us a warning here, and it's basically this. It says that when families and when parents cast off restraint, they, they add, this idea of cast off restraint is to, there's an there's a environment of confusion that comes. There's a, there's a setting where there's often rebellion and disorder. See, without godly insight or vision, I believe it's very easy for parents to drift towards giving too much attention to earthly things as if they're eternal things. I think that it's very easy for a parent to drift towards giving great value to things like their child's happiness. That becomes the most important thing. Or academics in sports. Very important, but are they eternal? And sometimes we will act as if getting on the sports team is the ultimate uh, accomplishment for a child. Let me give you just a little window. Pastor Ben can give you probably the same. I've never counseled one adult who is stuck in life, working through an addiction, working through some big, big issues. They've never once said to me, you know, Andy, my problem is, I didn't play enough sports. That's it. I didn't make the select team. And yet, if we kind of visit sort of the parenting cues of our culture right now, we would think the ultimate win is that our kids are playing select sports. Or, this is one that will kind of ruffle maybe our feathers. It could be very easy where we slip into a vision where it's more about raising good Americans than it is raising a generation who will worship God fully. 
We will raise law-abiding citizens who have probably a, a, a tenor of conservative thought to them. But will we have a vision that points people towards the, the nature, the character, and the truth of God in his kingdom? And what I realized, I was not far from casting off restraint. See, parenting, as, as God designed parenting, is to be a holy pursuit. It's a holy pursuit. It requires incredible courage, and it's costly. It's costly. It's difficult to hold up a standard of righteousness when you've got culture saying, kids are going to do whatever they want to do. Do you hear that in that chorus of that song? It just was so disturbing to me as I was listening to that. That's the anthem of our culture. Hey, kids are going to do whatever they're going to do. So mom and dad, just kind of be like a little bit of a soft bumper instead of a leader. See, this partnership with God, I don't know what it does with you, but I'll tell you what it does to me. It heightens my inadequacies. The more I reflect on what my children need from me, the more I feel inadequate. And here's the thing, I am. Apart from the work of God, I am inadequate. Why? Because this is a godly work. This is a godly work. Perhaps some of you right now, you feel the sting of regret and sadness over opportunities that are lost. Perhaps some of us are struggling today on this subject because we have a spouse who doesn't care about God like we hope. So we're kind of unequally yoked. You know, you're wanting a godly vision, and your spouse is wanting something completely different. Perhaps you feel the impact in your life of your family of origin, and you're like, man, how do I break free from this? This pattern in my home. I'm, I've introduced it unknowingly. I've introduced it into my home. And, it, and it's crippling us. Or perhaps this morning you would say, I'm struggling with issues of faith myself. Andy, how do I lead my family when I'm not sure I, what I believe and what I understand of the things of God? Well, let me tell you where there might be some good news if those are any sort of barometers for what you're feeling today. Fortunately, when God calls us into anything, he equips us. Let me say that again. When God calls you to be a parent, he equips you to be a parent. However, he doesn't expect perfection from us, but he does expect our participation. He he understands the family of origin. He knows exactly where your marriage is. He understands the inadequacies and the loss. He sees that all. That's not far from him. He understands where you are spiritually. And he says, I can work through a person that's willing. But you've got to have a vision that is architect from me. So I was, I was thinking about this a little bit. In high school, when I was getting ready for the Marines, I was told I was going to run a lot. So go join the track team. Trust me, you cannot get prepared for the amount of running that you're going to do in the Marines. So if you're going to go in the military, don't worry about it. They will teach you how to run. All right? <laughs> we ran and we ran and we ran. So anyways, but there was a team of people that did the 440 relay. And you probably are familiar with that at some level. But I noticed something very interesting about this team of people. 
that they would uh, get in their lanes and they would simply work on their handoffs. It was fascinating. They wouldn't even run. They would literally like this, and they'd hand it off, and then they'd catch it, and then the next person would hand it off, and the next person hand Why? Because they knew something about the baton, that if they didn't hand it off well, and it dropped, they would lose the race. So they were intent, not only on just being fast, but they were intent on how they ran. See, what we're doing today and throughout the series and what Pastor Ben will be doing in these next couple weeks is he's asking us the question, how are we doing at the handoffs? How are we doing that? And so today, we're going to practice handoffs. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking and evaluating and saying, boy, where, you know, where are our children's hands? Is it out there? Is it extended? Are they saying, hey, I want that? Are they resistant to it? Have you... Got a firm grasp on what this is? And are you handing something off to them that you want them to run for generations? Those are the questions that we're going to be asking today. Let's turn our attention to the Old Testament for some scriptural guidance on this, on this uh, subject today. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is Moses. This is when he has just uh, heard from God the revelation of the Ten Commandments. He's bringing that out now to the people, and he's making these great claims, and he's, he's setting the course for the, for the nation of Israel. And this is what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, there's a monotheistic God. There's not many, many multiple gods. God is, there's one God. This is a huge deal. And then he'll say this. Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of it, all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he moves and he says something very powerful. These words which I'm commanding to you today, what I'm telling you today, they need to be written on your heart. They need to be written on your heart. So the first kind of takeaway is, faith begins within me. If you're taking notes, write that down. I've got a vision, but then I need to understand. Faith begins with me. This is not about building Christian homes. This is about building a Christ-centered home. Not a religious home, but a home that is guided and followed by the principles and the things of God. And that begins when that happens in my heart. See, it's impossible to hand off something that I don't have a firm grasp of myself. It's impossible. It's impossible. And if you want to raise kids who put their trust in God, it is much more likely if you've placed your trust in Him yourself. But if there's arenas of your life that God has no leadership in, how do you plan to impart that to your child? They will run the course that you set. They will run it. And I love what the Bible does here. We bump up against this all the time when the stakes are high. This idea of the heart. Notice something. This is a metaphor for where the deepest of our affections reside. This is the place where the the, the worship happens. The things that get our highest value. 
become the affections that we give all of our effort towards. It was interesting, when, when my son Owen was born, my wife Christine read a tremendous amount of parenting books. And everything from discipline to feeding your baby to how to help your child sleep through the night, and whether they should wear, you know, what kind of diapers and what type of food they should eat. And all of these experts contradicted the other expert and they left us feeling like if we didn't do what they wanted us to do, we were doomed. And there was all this kind of stress. And I remember one night saying to Christine, give me all those books. And I mean, literally stacks. And I took them and I threw them away. And I said, we just got to get this pressure off of us. And if you're feeling that sort of pressure today, that's not, if, if it's leading you not to run towards God, that is not of God. That is not of God. Because, see, Moses isn't saying, hey, mom and dad, figure it out. Work harder. Step up. Run faster. Try harder. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, no, 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 no. The best place that this begins, and the only place it begins, is when the parent has a surrendered and transformed heart. And that isn't a one-time decision checked on a connect card, though that's an important starting point. That is a daily choice. That is a daily rhythm of sitting and going, God, create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. Because left to my own, God, I will run this race without you. I will throw off the restraints that you've given me. Another two, after we've settled who really is leading our life and we're, we're walking in that relationship with God that's authentic, it's not perfect, but it's authentic. We're not dividing our heart into little segments. There's, you know, God on Sunday and then there's me and work on Monday. No, 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 no. He's got the leadership of God in every arena and every habit. It, it's, it's, it's obvious that God's leadership is on me. Here's the number two. Leverage the teachable moments. Leverage the teachable moments. This is where you just kind of make it natural to include God in the daily conversations that you're having. Parents understand that spiritual principles are not only taught on one hour a week on a Sunday, they're taught 167 other hours a week. There's not just, hey, we go to church on Sunday, and then when we go home, we've kind of just put that over there and check the box. No, it's, it's the leadership. Sunday is the outflow of the six other days. The six other days. And the endless conversations that we're having. Look at this verse 7. Let's return to the scripture here. And Moses makes some fascinating statements. I believe he makes those because he's inspired by God. God wants it to be perfectly clear to us how to do this. Okay, you're not left to your own. That's good news. It's got news. Now watch what he says here. Verse 7. Impress them. In other words, impress these spiritual principles on your child. Uh, Think of tattoo. Think of a tattoo. Literally, this idea is to make a distinguishable mark or an impression upon them. Now, This is where it gets a little weird for us. If we're honest, we would say, a lot of us, I've I've actually heard this, a lot of people will say, I want my child to grow up 
uh, in faith and, and love God, but I, I, I don't want to force it upon them. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I want them to kind of make their way and sort of figure it out, you know, because, man, my parents kind of jammed it down my throat and I ran to the left and that, that sounds really good. Like, right, you hear that and you're like, yeah, yeah, I can kind of make sense. The problem is, if we're honest, we probably don't do that in any other arena of our life where certainly the stakes are high. I've never once woke up and said to my children, hey, Owen and Grace, do you want to go to school today? Hey, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with education? Owen, you're 11 years old. Do you want to continue it or do you want to punch out? You know, is it time to retire, Grace? I don't do that. That conversation doesn't surface in my house. You know, we don't wake up on Sundays and go, well, what do we want to do today? It it just doesn't doesn't happen. Now, certainly, you know, my vocation, probably Ben would like me to be here on Sundays, so I can't probably ask that question too much. But you, you get what I'm saying here? How about, like, thoughts and feelings? You, you know naturally, right, when, you're, when your child is sort of working through their thinking and their feelings and it's kind of squishy and like all over the place, you're not going, well, hey, whatever you think and feels right, it's your truth. No, 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 no. We know. High stakes here. We get involved. We get to use influence. We leverage other things. We leverage people. We leverage circumstances to impress something that matters on our children. We get this. And there are some powerful tools parents use, and they're at your disposal to impress things upon your child. I'll leave it up to you to figure out where to do that given the stage. But trust me, all of these can still be in play at some level. Just take some creativity. I certainly can't illustrate all those creativities. But you know who can? God. You can sit with God, open up your journal, grab a cup of coffee and go, Lord, you know where my kids are. You know what stage of life they're in, and you know what my level of influence is right now. How do I do this? So take some notes if you want to learn about some of these things. Here's this thing that I would say. Here's one of the tools that people use. They attend church faithfully. It's not something that's squeezed into the calendar. When you begin to hear families who have a long legacy of faith, you will find that church was a centerpiece. When church is optional to the parent, I believe the next generation, it's irrelevant for them. It's just irrelevant to them. But church is a powerful resource. It's a centerpiece for the family. The other is just using kind of the ordinary circumstances of life as a way to illustrate or, or point to biblical truth. That's a beautiful summary. What is this thing going on tonight? The red moon? Is it that blood moon? That's a great opportunity to just say, man, look how powerful that moon is. How, who, who do you th- how did you think that happened? Man, I thank God for that. He's like showing off. It's just, just a statement in a way. But those begin to salt and pepper and add flavor to the circumstances of life. I read about one dad who on Saturdays, he has pancakes and proverbs with pop. He'll make pancakes for his kids and he'll teach a proverb. And it's just become a rhythm. In their home. Another, another option, another tool in the tool belt, if you're not using this, maybe put that in there, is just praying with our children. Not just for them, but praying with them. There's often some mornings where I'll gather my kids up and I'll go, how can dad be praying for you today? 
And it's, you know, I want to have great recess to, you know, it could be something very significant. And then I make sure to pray for them right then and there. And I put my hand on them. Because I, I want them to remember, oh yeah, my dad prayed for me. My dad prayed for me. And if you're uncomfortable praying with your children, get comfortable. I love you. And I want you to succeed, so get comfortable. And put your hand on the kids and go, God, this is really uncomfortable, isn't it? I go, yeah, Dad, this is, this is, this is really strange. And then laugh about it. Here's one that happened to my, I'm so grateful to my mom for. My mom was a single parent. She, we were involved in serving others as a family, me and my mom. We went down to Church of the Advent in Walnut Hills. We served our neighbors who were a hot meal, was vital to them. We did that every Wednesday night for as long as I can remember. And I don't remember my mom preaching at me. I don't remember my mom giving these great dissertations of biblical truth. But I remember my mom putting me in an environment where I was feeding people who needed help. And I had my little polo with my collar turned up. And I was just aware that I was blessed in a way that I was not seen around me. And I believe, looking now at how I behave and think about the disenfranchised and those in need, I trace it back to my mom. You want to have that sort of, you want to care about those that are less fortunate? I'm telling you, in a culture that's so self-absorbed with itself, you've got to have a strategy to put your children in an environment where there is uh, the passion and the need of the poor and the disenfranchised are, are happening. You have to. You have to. That's just mission critical. So one thing you can do within our church, which is so exciting, you can join the Feeding Hope team. Write this date down, Thursday, October 22nd. They are going to have a fall blowout party with our neighbors. Bring your whole family and serve. And then afterwards, go to Dewey's and go, hey, what did we learn? What did what, you experience? And you're just talking. Hey, what does that teach us about kind of what, we're, what, we, what are we grateful for? I'm just telling you, it is powerful. And you're starting to impress something upon your children. These, then there are these unplanned moments. Those are all sort of highly structured and, and kind of, you know, scheduled because what gets scheduled gets done. But then there's some other ones. Look at Moses. Just the incredible wisdom. This is why we got to read Scripture. Look at this. Talk about them. He's talking about the Scriptures. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Do you look at all those different environments? And you're like, wow. Wow, this is pretty interesting. And all these different environments, God says, Moses is saying, be mindful and leverage those moments. We had an unplanned, unscripted moment with our daughter, Grace, last week. We're getting, it's in the morning, we're getting ready, and she says, Daddy, if we're Christians, why do we celebrate Halloween? <clears throat> now all you are leaning in, aren't you, right now? You're like, hmm, let's hear what he says. And uh, I said, that is a great question. Because, you know, you want to affirm it, no, no dumb questions, that is a great question. And your mom has a wonderful answer. 
because I believe in equality in my home, and I want my wife to participate. So I said to her, honey, what would you say? Because what I wanted to say was, because we don't want the prince of darkness to come at night and snatch our souls. That's why we celebrate Halloween, but I, I didn't know if that'd be appropriate. <laughs> but it's really fascinating. So we dialogued about it, and we had just this kind of interesting perspective, and felt a little bit like, uh-oh, you know, what you say matters. And I, I think I want to just drill into one environment for us that I think has a, probably a, a, a pretty shared experience for us. I think we can talk a lot about what happens when you're at home. You know, just those, those planned and unplanned moments where the family's just kind of hanging out, where they're, they're maybe watching their favorite television show together and they're laughing and they're eating some popcorn or whatever it is. How about in a time where there's a meal and then you're just sitting around at the dinner table? Some of the most powerful conversations from what's my birth story to, you know, how do I make a friend to our highs and lows have happened at dinner at our home. How about yours? So I saw this really powerful commercial for a hardware store of all things that I think illustrates the, the power of just gathering around a table and being together as a family. Turn, turn your attention to the screens. During the Depression, my grandfather went hungry around this table. Before leaving for Vietnam, my uncle ate one of his last meals in America around this table. This table has played host to everything from Christmas dinners to grandma's bridge tournaments to arguments about politics and sports. This table has had fists pounded on it, pumpkins carved on it, and babies spit up on it. Four generations of children have had to sit at this table until they ate all their vegetables. One of them just last week. This table has a story. This table is a story. And the story doesn't end anytime soon. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? Wow. Did you know Time Magazine in June 4th, 2006, did a study on the magic of the family meal? Just listen to this. Studies show, this is what the article revealed, study shows that more a family eats together around a dinner table, their children are less likely to smoke, drink, do drugs, get depressed, develop eating disorders, consider suicide, the more likely they will do well in school, they'll delay having sex, they'll learn big words, they'll eat vegetables, and they'll know which fork to use. I mean, supper's almost fixing everything here, people. I mean, the dinner table... It's just this great unifier. It's a place where community takes place. Where the biblical role of community can get experienced. Sharing a meal is an excuse to catch up and just talk. Just shut the computers off. The Snapchat goes away. 
and we just look into each other. We say, highs and lows. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Food gets put on the table. You gather hands and you go, let's pray. Father, thank you. You provide. You provide. Come on, something happens when you hear that. You think, there's just something right about that. And it's, it's, it's so important that Christine and I have kind of, we need to return to it. I'm, I'm just telling you what we're doing as a family. We've made a commitment to practice this at least three times a week. We have to. Can't do it five times a week. It's just not physically possible for our schedules. But we've got to fight for that and got to have that. That's part of our deal. Here's the, here's the next one. Teachable moments. You've, you've, you've got a vision. You, you've surrendering your life to Christ. You're, you're leveraging all those teachable moments. Moments where you can go, hey, that's great. Love how you're thinking. Hey, let me give you a thought there. You know, I was reading scripture the other day, and I thought about what you just said in light of what scripture just said. And it's just a rhythm. Hey, before you get out of this car, how can I be praying for you? Let me pray for you real quick. Hey, before we get off the phone, this is for you parents of adults that are out of the house. How can mom and dad be praying for you? And then you pray for them right over the phone. Those are those teachable moments. Here's the next one. My life and my home reflect a biblically-centered faith. This is really an, an interesting move that I've, I've just kind of caught towards the end of my studies this week. If you notice, the first thing Moses says is, where does this have to first take place? It has to first take place in your heart. The, the, the work of God begins within your soul, and then, as a result of it, it's on full display in your home. That your home become these places of grace, and peace, and self-control, and, and purity. It's not a place where violence takes place, where sarcasm reigns, where when the garage door rises up, everybody gets nervous and wonders, is this the day that mom walks in the house and it's just an unhinged moment? Or what's, what's dad doing? No, 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 no. It's a center, a refuge for the work of God to have its full effect. There's joy. And when there's moments when there's not joy and there's moments that there's you know, difficulty, we're working as a family to get back to those moments. Because we know something. That what is seen in our homes is what's remembered. And probably for some of us, our story is the reason why we ran away from church was because our home was not consistent with what we were learning. That break can happen today. That can stop today. Because the God that resides in your heart doesn't want that inconsistency. See, more than a, it's just a Christian family with conservative values, Moses is telling us that let's cultivate a Christ-centered home where parents are leading from an amazing vision, where faith in Jesus is written first on their hearts, and then when teachable moments and settings come, the conversations about God aren't forced. They're just part of the rhythm. They're part of the rhythm. I want to close with just this little exercise uh, just if you wouldn't mind, just 
kind of in your seat. We've, we've really covered a lot of ground, and I just kind of sense that there's, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of things going on maybe with what God's doing in you, and you're more aware of your setting than I am. Would you mind just closing your eyes? I'm just going to lead us through sort of a prayer for a moment, and then we're going to enter into the kind of the next step phase of our, our conversations here. But just going to pray for a few minutes. Just quiet yourself for a second. Do a favor, don't look around or get up. Now, as you're sitting here, I want you to imagine for a moment you're handing, you're holding this baton. Do you remember the baton I had? You're, you, you have a firm grasp of it in your hand. And in front of you are your children, your future children, your adult children, your stepchildren, your grandchildren, whomever's in your circle of parenting influence. They're in front of you. You have the grasp on the baton. You start to run towards them, you're extending it out, and they grasp it. And they start to run their race. You're excited, you, you're, you're thinking, oh, they're getting traction. And then all of a sudden, you become keenly aware of some pressure and struggle. Do you, do you see the struggle? Like a cloud moving over the course. You're like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, that's, that's, that's a struggle. And then suddenly, as you watch them, they drop the baton. And you start to pray. You start to pray, man. You, you call some friends and you're like, hey, man, pray for my kid. And you're cheering for them and you're, you're looking at all the moments that you have. And you're trying to see how you can leverage any moment for them to pick that baton up. You're saying, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You know, follow Christ as I followed him. Do you remember what we talked about when I was in high school, when I started my career, when I got married? You can do it. And then you notice they bend down. And they take grasp of that baton and they start running again. And you start cheering. And the reason they run well is because you ran your race well. And then the legacy continues. Open your eyes. What you just experienced at some level, I believe, was a vision for parenting. So with that in mind, I want you to take out your Connect card. We're going to take some bold steps today. We're going to take all that emotion and compress it into some actions. Because we now have a sense of, oh man, now I know. And I want to just give you some steps. And the first step that I want to give you is the most important step you can take today, if you've never taken it. And that is to say, Andy, I will become a Christ follower today. I've become, a, a, I've been a, you know, kind of God-minded I've been sort of moral, or I've grown up in my church, but there's never been a point in my life where faith in Jesus has been personally true for me. And so today, I'm making Jesus the leader, the forgiver, I'm inviting him to come into my life. Just check that box if that's a decision you're making today. And we'll pray about that decision in just a moment. The next step is I want to be baptized. Parents, I believe there may be no other more powerful physical expression than when we put that tank up there and mom and dad get in it and their children are around them praying for them. 
If you've never been water baptized, let me strongly encourage you to do that. It's what Jesus did, and it's what he turns around and says, now, remember this, do these things too. Just like we practice communion, he said, be baptized. If you've never been baptized, check box B, get baptized. Humble yourself and invite your children, your adult children, whatever, your stepchildren, to help you and be part of that stage. There will be nothing more powerful than that illustration. Trust me, that's a powerful illustration. Check box B. Then step C is this, uh, ties right to our message. This is your prayer this week. God, give me a God-sized vision for my children. Because a God-sized vision is something you can't do. It's just not possible. It's not possible. That's the vision you want. Something so large, it, you, it almost terrifies you. So pray for that today. Say, God, give me a vision. Number, the next one is, and I think this is just an important step, is we're going to put some practice on this. We're going to have three meals a week. God's With God's help and our schedules, we're going to get together. We're going to have three meals as a family this week. Check that box. See how that goes this week. Start that rhythm. Then lastly, it's just where we are as a church. This is a perfect season for you to get engaged into another smaller community of friends and encourage your faith. This is join a small group. And there's numbers associated with any group. Just put a number on that. But mom and dad, get into a community of faith. Find some other Christ followers who will, who will cheer you on as you run your race. Let's pray about these things. Father, uh, we have covered a lot of ground today. And we stop right now and we, we, Ill, we, we take action. And for my friends who have, have sensed they need to seek your forgiveness for the first time and say, God, I, I don't want to know about you. I want to live in relationship with you. I'm praying for that person who's checked that box, that this would be a transforming day for their souls. And then out of their heart, they would watch their parenting influence change. For the other decisions that are made, would you just, Lord, inspire us to fulfill these commitments so that when we... Uh, come to the end of our race our children are still running theirs with great success we pray these things in the name of Jesus Amen